three, two, one. You ready? You're listening to the Real Pineapple Podcast Network. Good evening, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. This is The Real Pineapple. This is your humble host, Hunter, here. Hope you're all having a great Super Bowl Sunday. Um, I've got one of my favorite reviews of the year. It is finally here. Uh, Our worst of, my worst of, for 2020. Uh, What a, what a journey. What a journey it's been. So, I will say... If you've listened to the podcast for any for a little while, first off, thank you. If you're new, welcome. But this is one of the more therapeutic podcasts that I do. I love praising film, and I will have my best of list uh, next week on uh, Valentine's Day because it's the films I love. But but I love doing this list each year because it's it's a nice palate cleanser to acknowledge. Hey, 2020 had some really really bad movies. Some really bad movies. But again, there's some great stuff in 2020. So I still have some more stuff I'm trying to watch before next week to give myself the most comprehensive list. My worst of list, on the other hand, pretty solid as far as me having no doubt. So uh, just the rules of thumb, uh, any film that has come out between uh, Super Bowl Sunday of last year, uh, but actually from uh, January 1st, of the prior year to Super Bowl Sunday. That's how I'm gauging not just my best stuff, but my worst stuff. So just, you know, the parameters as far as when films came out. And so let me start with a couple dishonorable mentions because there are some, again, some incredible film that came out last year, but there is also some real dog shit that I was very disappointed in. So I won't spend too much time talking about this one uh, after we collided. I never reviewed the original uh, after we collided. I did watch it, but it's more of Tessa and Hardwin's uh, Harden's just dumb bullshit. I don't understand uh, how what they have is considered love by people, and yet people defend those books. It's maddening. It's frustrating. Hated that movie. Uh, Chick Fight with uh, Bella Thorne, everyone's favorite OnlyFans rep, and uh, Malin Ackerman. It's... The only reason I didn't hate it more is just because Kevin Nash is actually the best part of it, which in a film called Chick Fight is a fucking problem, but Kevin Nash is excellent in that. So between that and one scene that I actually thought was pretty well done, I was like, ah, okay, you can't, I can't find a reason to put you on the list. Uh, Doolittle. Doolittle is terrible. I love Rob Downey Jr. Uh, I love Rob Downey Jr. even before he was Iron Man. Uh, just to uh, put that in perspective, because Kiss Kiss Bang Bang is one of my favorite films ever. But he's bad in it. He's really, really bad in it. Antonio Banderas is the best part of that. The CG in it is terrible. It feels like it was cut from three other films. It's unfocused. It's boring. It's poorly paced. Do a little terrible, but couldn't find a spot for it on my list. Uh, Dangerous Lies, which was uh, the the movie of uh, Jesse T. Usher, and I cannot think of uh, uh, why can I think of that girl's name? Oh my god, it's gonna bother me. I'm gonna have to look it up. Um, but 
yeah, it's a terrible. Oh, Camila Mendez. She's uh, uh she's on uh, uh Riverdale. Uh, it's a bad movie. It's just bad. It's boring. Netflix has really fallen to this almost subculture, this uh, the subgenre of having just those sort of you know cheesy, uh, not erotic thrillers that they have, and they just kind of pump out, and this falls into that vein. Uh, just bored the whole way through. It, it, just no reason to watch the shit. And the last one I will bring up is uh, Irresistible. Irresistible is a terrible movie. I was so disappointed in Jon Stewart. Uh, it's so slapstickish. It doesn't really know what it wants to be. Uh, Chris Cooper is great in it. And the overall message of the film, while I like the message, the execution on it is really bad. And considering Jon Stewart worked on The Daily Show for so long, and, you know, political satire is kind of his thing, how it didn't gel the way it was supposed to is, is rather maddening to me. Even though there's Mackenzie Davis in it, who I really do enjoy, they're just so, for what we got, we should have received a lot better. So, that so yeah, that was a, that was a big issue for me. All right, let's move on to number 10. My number 10 least favorite film of 2020 is Force of Force of Nature. If you have not heard of Force of Nature, it is the latest Mel Gibson, Emile Hirsch, Kate Bosworth movie, which just goes to show you how incredibly star-studded it is. Uh, Mel Gibson should never be allowed to make another film. Let, let, let's just be clear. There's no reason he should have received as many chances as he's received. I understand the man's talented. He's a great director. I get it. But my God, for the amount of shit that this man has done and been very unapologetic for, the fact he keeps getting work, I'll admit, does bother me. But no chemistry between him and Kate Bosworth. They're supposed to be playing a, a, a father and daughter, and yet it never feels like he gives enough of a shit about her. Emil Hirsch is just sleepwalking through. You can just tell Emil Hirsch is thinking back to, man, I remember when I did... Girl Next Door and Speed Racer, and people were like, oh, this guy's got a future, because him being in this, is it's pretty much, it's a, it's quite a bummer to actually see him in this, because I thought he had more than what, what he's been giving, especially after taking Woodstock. I really thought that he was going to really turn this corner, and it just didn't happen, but it's a bad movie. There's really just no reason to watch it. There is this racism subplot that they throw in which makes no fucking sense and i went really we're we're doing this shit it's a really bad movie and i was very upset that i had to pay the 5.99 to go ahead and uh to go ahead and rent that so that would be my number that would be my number 10 my number nine is i believe a happy madison production it stars david spade and it, uh, and uh, Laura Lapkus, uh, The Wrong Missy. The Wrong Missy is a horrendous, horrendous, horrendous film. I, David Spade is one of those guys I actually really like between Rules of Engagement and Just Shoot Me and Tommy Boy and Black Sheep. I'm a big fan of David Spade's. I actually think he is a very underrated uh, uh, SNL cast member when he's on there. I thought Spade, uh, Spade in America was actually fantastic, and of course, Emperor's New Groove goes a long way with me, 
But the message of this movie of, hey, this woman can be dangerous and completely insane and cost you your job, but she's quirky and it's fun and it's cute. And that's why at the end of the day, you put up with her bullshit. Fuck off movie. Absolutely terrible. Uh, Roman Reigns is in this. I don't know what his real name is. It doesn't matter. Uh, uh, but uh, he was the one part in this or one of the few things that actually made me chuckle I have to give the movie that, but Nick Swartzen is in this. I just feel like Nick Swartzen gives less and less of a fuck the more I see him. Rob Schneider, this might be the worst I've seen Rob Schneider since Jack and Jill, which is really saying something because I wanted to choke him <laughs> in Jack and Jill. But just, again, a movie that doesn't need to exist. There's no reason for it. It's it's To say it's confusing that it was made is being very, very kind to it. It's a bad, bad movie. And even for Happy Madison, which I believe, again, it was uh, uh, produced it because it's David Spade, so I'm sure it was. But the fact that this is from them and this is still somehow worse than a lot of the stuff they've done, I actually like this less than uh, Hubie Halloween because, yes, while Hubie Halloween is bad, and I, I will spoil this, it's not on my list, while that movie is bad, I at least laughed a couple times. Not hard, but I did laugh. I didn't laugh once in this, outside of just seeing, oh, it's Roman Reigns. That's kind of funny. But terrible film. David Spade, try harder, man. Don't, don't do this shit. That's my number nine. My number eight is a movie that some people might go, all right, that's a little mean that you're putting it on here, but for the implications that this movie has and wrote the stereotypes it portrays. Uh, John Henry is my number eight. Uh, Terry Crews, love on Brooklyn Nine-Nine, not crazy about his Twitter, but Terry Crews is great on Brooklyn. He is horrendous in this. When you think about how Terry Crews hasn't been, really been a superhero, it's just kind of shocking that for such an action-heavy or potentially action-heavy role, this is where he decided, oh, I'm going to step away from comedy and do something more, uh, quote, drama heavy, unquote. Um, I love Ludacris. I'm a huge fan of his. Uh, I love him in the Fast and Furious movies. Um, I know his rap game, uh, not as good as rapping now uh, recently, but, uh, you know, I, so a couple of his albums are some of my favorites in the history of hip hop, uh, Chicken and Beer especially, uh, and Word of Mouth. But... He is horrendous as the villain here. His villain's name is literally Hell. Hell! That's how little this movie gave a damn. And it's the classic, oh, we need to have a black guy living in the hood trying to save someone from a, from a gang. But, it's, but then they lean kind of into the John Henry folklore, which doesn't make any sense for how they're portraying him. It's such a incredibly, incredibly ignorant really poisonous message that they're pushing at the end of the day and the poster for this if you have not seen the poster the the tagline in the movie is hear his hammer ring which really and it, it's it's a, such a bad poster look up the poster if you haven't seen it just just for that alone i would laugh but it's a it's a terrible 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 freaking movie and I'm really sad to exist, and to be honest, I 
out of all the movies on my list, this might be the one that I would the most just want to go away. Um, it's, ugh, it's such a piece of crap. Actually, that's not true. My number one's really bad, but I digress. <sighs> Pardon me. So that's my number eight. My number seven. Oh, my nemesis. Again, if you've listened to the podcast for a decent amount of time, you will know I am no fan of Tyler Perry. I think Tyler Perry is a cancer in the black community. I think that his films portray us as incredibly coonish and irresponsible and treats Jesus like a genie. Uh, without anyone in his movie actually doing any work, they just go, Jesus, give me this. Oh, look, Jesus gave me that. I, I despise the man. And his two films, uh, two my, my number seven and six are actually back-to-back films that he did. So, Tyler Perry's A Fall From Grace. Let's start with that one. So, Tyler Perry's A Fall From Grace. The thing is, the, the whole concept is just stupid. So, this woman, uh, Crystal Fox, who plays Grace, get it, Fall From Grace? <laughs> uh, you, of course, know her from Driving Miss Daisy in the Heat of the Night, Big Little Lies. She plays Grace. Her, she is heartbroken because her husband uh, cheats on her. She goes ahead and finds a new uh, a new beau played by, uh, uh, I'm going to butcher this. I'm sorry, brother. Uh, uh, Mashad Brooks, uh, who plays Shannon. You know him from Desperate Housewives. He's James Olsen on Supergirl. Um, he was Eggs on True Blood. Just name a few things that he's done. And I got to be honest, everyone. This, as far as the acting, this is my least favorite Tyler Perry film probably in the last couple of years. Uh, everyone in this, it, to say it feels soap opera-ish would be an improvement over where the acting is. Um Grace and Shannon, they have no chemistry. I never bought the relationship for a second. And yes, she is older. And we've seen younger men end up with older women and vice versa. But he never doesn't come across as shady to me. And I think that's the big problem with the movie is that he always seems like he is hiding something. And so when her woman's intuition kicks in and he starts freaking out on her, I went, well... This is really dumb. Why didn't you, why did you get married to this guy so quickly? And Felicia Rashad, I love her, but she needs to, Miss Rashad, Mrs. Rashad, pardon me. You need to stop being these Tyler Perry movies. Like, come on now. (laughs) Like, I know Creed 3 is going to be filming here soon, but seriously, stop being in Tyler Perry movies. You are too good to be in these. And the big twist that comes with Shannon near the end of the movie, I just threw my hands up in the air and waved them like I definitely cared because I was fucking angry <laughs> with where this movie ends up. Even for a Tyler Perry movie, the twist made me go, really? We're, we're doing this crap? So, yeah, absolutely terrible. Uh, number six, as I mentioned, is another Tyler Perry, uh, Tyler Perry movie. It's Tyler Perry's A Medea Farewell to Play. Now, I know some people are going to go, Hunter, it's a play. Why do you have it on your worst of? Does that really count? Well, I'm sorry. Don't people have Hamilton in their top 10? A lot of people I know do. So yeah, this counts. Two, it was on BET Plus, which I paid, uh, which I got a free trial of because I was not about to give BET my money because you know why you keep giving Tyler Perry money. But this movie, uh, this play, pardon me, 
There is there is a uh, transgender uh, woman uh, character in in the play, and I will just say this alone was enough to make me go, "Yep, fuck this." This this play portrays this woman as insane. She is all about uh, hooking up with this one guy who is clearly not interested. Is very stern and tells her, "Look, I'm not interested." Like, we can be friends. Like, I'm just not, I'm not interested in you like that. And, you know, she keeps going like, oh, cool, cool, cool. I understand. I understand. And then she'll, she'll, she will stop just short. She stops just short of saying, oh, yeah, I'll suck your dick in front of everyone right now. It's really offensive how they portray, portray this woman and how everyone keeps calling her a man. And it's done multiple times in the play. And so not that this would excuse it, but I thought, okay, maybe she'll get, a moment at the end where she tells the whole family to fuck off and to go ahead and accept her for the woman that she is. Like, again, wouldn't salvage the play, but I went, maybe Tyler Perry has enough hindsight to do, uh, has enough uh, hindsight as a writer, go ahead and do that. And no, not at all. He goes ahead and just makes her a running joke throughout the whole play. And and there's this point in the play, too, and, and it, where... You know, Medea goes, oh, you know, you owe your parents everything. You got to always respect your parents. And I'm sitting there going, I'm sorry, the kids didn't ask to be here. If your parents being a dick, you don't just go, oh, I respect you. So, you know, abuse me. Like, no, if your parents being terrible, stand up for yourself. And and then just when I thought it couldn't get worse between just the the songs and. And I got there's so much about that play. I don't like Tyler Perry has a little. I don't even want to call him epilogue because the play is still going on. But there's this point he comes out on stage as Tyler Perry and goes basically, everyone, thank you so much for supporting Medea. And oh, my God, thank you. And I'm, you know, basically, fuck the haters. I'm doing this for us. I'm telling our stories. And I'm sitting there watching this going, you're a dick. You are an incredible asshole that you're going to sit here and act like, oh, yeah, you're telling the stories of our culture. I'm representing us. And. I'm giving us jobs and I, yeah, fuck you, man. <laughs> like I, it's, it's a terrible message, multiple terrible messages that the play has and outside and even more so than fall for grace, probably his most soap opera thing he's ever done outside of the halves, uh, outside of uh, the family at praise. I, I think this is like a number two behind it. As far as some of the twists that this play throws out that I just went by the end Wow, you just pulled everything out of your ass you could. It, it's absolutely insane. Don't know why the play was made outside of the fact people, black people love Medea. But yeah, Tower Perry, you suck. So that's my number six. All right, let me take a sw swig of water here. So to recap, my number 10, Force of Nature. Number nine, The Wrong Missy. Number eight, John Henry. Number seven and six, Tower Perry's. A Fall from Grace, and Tyler Perry presents a Medea Farewell, the play, respectively. All right, moving on to my number five. I'm a huge fan of this director, and I think I just need to accept that his best days just might be behind him at this point. And I and I hate saying that, but I, I, I'm really kind of starting to think, yeah, maybe, maybe this is just... How the cookie crumbles, maybe it just doesn't get better from here. Um, it's uh, The King of Staten Island, uh, starring 
uh, starring, uh, uh, oh my gosh, Pete Davidson. So here's the thing. I'm very hot and cold on Pete Davidson anyway. I think when he's on Weekend Update in very, you know, bite size, <laughs> bite size little bits, I think he's actually, he can be incredibly charming and very funny. But this felt like a giant excuse for Pete Davidson's just shitty behavior, honestly. He plays a character in the film Scott, and Scott is one of the most unlikable people I've seen in the film in the last th five years at least. And at the end of the day, the film just kind of lets him slide. Yeah, his sister, uh, probably in the best scene in the movie, his sister basically goes off on him for being a selfish piece of shit. But the problem is she seems to be the only one that really is okay with putting her foot down, going, you're a fucking asshole, get the fuck away from me. Uh, his mom, played by Mr. Tomei, gives him a lot of rope, even though she kicks him out. Uh, he gets tons of rope uh, uh, about that, uh, about him just being a slacker and a loser. Uh, the movie kind of goes ahead and talks about the fact that, oh, if you're a stoner, you're just kind of lazy by default. And, you know, I'm sorry, I'm a stoner, and you're just going to go, yep, you're, you know, I'm a lazy piece of shit. I smoke weed. I can't help myself. He's not. Even at his job, which, I mean, look, I've never worked in a restaurant. I've worked customer service uh, for most of my, uh, since I was 18. And I'll tell you right now, even when I am just not feeling my job, I at least try a little. And he is just a terrible, terrible waiter. He could not give a damn about anyone in his, uh, in his, uh, his restaurant. It's really quite maddening to see him just give a little of a damn and then there's this weird tradition at the restaurant where they hit each other with hulk hands to get their to fight for their tips it, it's it's such a weird movie and it's such a shame because marissa tomei and bill burr are so great in it they are acting circles around pete davidson and this is supposed to be somewhat autobiographical so if you're playing yourself you should be able to do better and when i think about the fact that Pete Davidson did a better job playing himself in uh, Big Time Adolescence, which I didn't review, but watched and enjoyed. It's even more maddening to watch this and go, God, he, you really kind of suck. And the, and he tattoos a kid in the movie. And that's just that in itself just drove me insane that the movie just kind of goes up. Oh, well, what are you going to do? So, yeah, hate that movie. Uh, that's my number five, King of Staten Island. My number four is a movie that I did not review, but a movie that I watched randomly, like at four in the morning, because I could not sleep. And I thought, oh, this will help me go to sleep. And what this movie did instead, it just made me really angry and go, oh, fuck you guys for making this. Uh, It's 365 days. So I'm going to tell you right now, if you are an ally for women, you're an ally for anyone who has been harassed, abused, assaulted, and you like this movie, I have several things I would tell you to your face because this is a horrendous, horrendous, horrendous message for women. Uh, Anna Maria, uh, I'm going to butcher your last name, sorry, uh, Sik Luka, she plays Lauren, uh, Laura, pardon me. And she's this woman who is in a uh, uh, she's in a relationship with this dude who clearly doesn't care about her. He's totally 
just brainless, essentially. He really doesn't treat her well at all. She goes ahead, dumps him. It's on her birthday if Mary serves. And so she goes ahead and ends up getting kidnapped by henchmen for Massimo, who's played by Michelle Marone. And he is a member of the Sicilian mafia family. And so she goes to this trip to Sicily to, you know, try to save her relationship. And he kidnaps her. And so just off the street kidnaps her. And so when she wakes up after being drugged, might I add, she wakes up and is like, what the hell is happening? And, 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 and Massimo is like, oh, hey, I had a vision about a girl who's you. You're the woman in my vision. So I'm going to give you 365 days to fall in love with me. And it's Stockholm Syndrome, the movie. And the fact the movie just goes, well, she's resisting. He's resisting. She's still kind of resisting. Oh, crap. It's uh, two and a half weeks. Uh, or Yeah, I believe it's two and a half weeks it takes for her to fall in love with him. It's either two and a half weeks or two and a half months. It's nowhere close to a year. I want to say it's two and a half weeks. And it's the whole thing is Massimo. He is so abusive towards her, including this point on a plane where she's buckled in and he has her hands and feet tied because he keeps trying to escape. Shocking. And so he, so she looks up at him and he just randomly goes up and just pulls a Donald Trump, just grabs her by the, just between the legs and goes ahead and goes, you have to earn the pleasure. It just goes and takes a seat. But then after he does that, he goes, because of course he's on a private jet, because, you know, mafia. It goes into the back of the plane, and the woman who is uh, the stewardess for the plane, he just goes ahead and forces her to give him a blowjob. And the movie, just, and she looks up at him like, oh, thank you for the time. I'm like, what the fuck am I watching? And this was number one for a long time on Netflix. Yeah, there's boobs, and you almost see dick. Like, it's really weird. Like, this is basically a skin... Like, this is a Skinamax film, except there's maybe a little more sex in this. So, I mean, for the Fifty Shades crowd, if you can excuse, you know, Christian's clear abuse, you'll probably watch this and go, what are you complaining about? But the fact that this was written... Uh, this was written by a woman. There's three of these fucking books. How? I have no idea. But... At the end of the day, the fact is, this movie encourages their love and encourages their relationship. And I'm sitting here watching this going, this cannot be a thing that people are okay with. But it is. And so once once she finally submits and goes, I'm in love with you. I want to marry you. What? After two and a half? It, it, it's a terrible movie. And I can't believe that the second one's already apparently been greenlit, so we'll probably get that maybe this year. Who knows? But absolutely terrible film. And it's almost two hours. It's an hour and 54 minutes. So, yeah, it's absolute piece of crap. So that's my number four. My number three. Oh, goodness. So I reviewed, I definitely did review this. You can go back and listen to the review. But when it comes to David Ayer... Soames' stuff hits so hard for me. I, of course, Training Day. 
Uh, I love Street Kings. I don't care what anyone says. I know it's dumb, but I love Street Kings. And this shit, the tax collector, my God. Shia LaBeouf, I know he's uh, got bigger problems than being, uh, <laughs> than being in this movie right now, but him and Bobby Soto working together, their chemistry just does not work for me. And that's the least of the film's problems, whether it's Shia playing really a Latino stereotype uh, to, to the fact that this movie, LA apparently is just the shittiest place in the, in the world. It's, it's really quite maddening how badly uh, LA is portrayed. Maybe no, maybe this might be the worst portrayal of, of LA that Ayers actually presented on screen. Now I'm sitting here thinking about it. Yeah, I'd actually probably go with that, but Bobby Soto, he's supposed to be the leading man, and he just does not currently have the chops to be that dude. I don't know if it's a script or what it is, um, but got to brush up on your acting, man. I, I hope you do well, but yeah, this 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 was not the role for you. And George Lopez is actually the best part in this, if there is a you know good part. But whether it's gangsters shooting like stormtroopers, whether it's uh, David, who is, you know, the head of this crime family, being just a terrible fucking gangster when he's threatened not having an escape plan and putting his family in danger in a way that I went, yeah, you are unprepared for this, and you really just kind of suck <laughs> overall. It's just a terrible film. There's no passion, it feels like, behind this. There's no energy, even though there's multiple shootouts in this movie. It's poorly paced. Um, Ayer just feels like he's sleepwalking through it and really doesn't care about elevating this uh, as a director. It's really quite confusing, and he's the writer on this, too. So it's all on Ayer for this being as bad as it is. So, yeah, I really, really despise this film, and it's something I'll never watch again. It popped up on my Hulu, and I remember just thinking, oh, man, I'm really sad that I know that this movie exists and that I wasted my time seeing it. So yeah, that I hate the tax collector. So that's my number three, my number two, I know some people won't be happy with this, which I have already long since accepted, but I've watched videos on this movie being a masterpiece. I've heard people try to convince me. I've talked to friends about it. I cannot express enough how much I don't care. Uh, this movie is terrible. My number two is Tenet. It is a terrible, terrible movie, and it is far and away Nolan's worst film. I don't think it's even close, because I. some people said, oh, it's Dark Knight Rises. It might be Dunkirk. No, no, no. It's definitely, definitely Tenet. Whether it's John David Washington being too black to actually have a name, uh, whether it's Robert Pattinson clearly being an avatar for Christopher Nolan in the movie, uh, whether it's... Kenneth Branagh playing the exact same character that he was in Jack uh, Jack Ryan uh, Shadow Recruit, and or whether it's uh, and I'm blanking on the on the actress's name, uh, but whether it's uh, Kenneth Branagh's love interest, who at the end of the day, all we know about her is that Kenneth Branagh likes to hit her and abuse her and her child. That's all we know about her, and. You know, Nolan female characters have never been accused of being, you know, three-dimensional. Uh, Elizabeth uh, DeBecky, that's it. 
you know her as uh you know her as uh, Aisha in uh Guardians of the Galaxy and Alice from Widows by the way. But the thing that is so frustrating about this movie is that the first 10 minutes or so the opening sequence uh to where uh John David Washington's uh character is uh takes what he thinks is a cyanide pill. That whole opening bit I went okay. This this is interesting. And everything after that really screams Christopher Nolan's faux uh, intelligence. Uh, It's really quite maddening when you look at something like Inception and you look at the emotional stakes that the movie does a very great job of portraying and setting up uh, with Leo and and, uh, Elliot Page's characters. You feel that. It's a thread that you're able to follow all the way through because John David Washington's character is so underwritten to clearly just be an avatar it felt like christopher nolan had an idea but did not know how to flush it out and i made the joke during the review of it that oh like he needed jonathan he needed jonathan to help him out but christopher nolan wrote wrote inception by himself so it's even more confusing to me that i don't know what the hell happened here where it just where it just falls apart it falls apart quickly um, there's a point in the movie where uh, the the cue uh, of, of the film, essentially, uh, Barbara, who's played by Clemence uh, uh, Poissy, uh, she flat out tells uh, John David Washington's character, oh, don't even think about it. Don't worry about it. Like, don't think about it. And I'm sitting here going, um, no, I want to know how this concept fucking works. And you're not doing a great job of giving me a reason to give a damn about your characters. Also... It, the fact that all of this at the end of the day comes down to basically saving Cat, and my whole reason is why? Why does John David Washington as a character care so much about about Cat outside of the fact he's being abused? That's really all it comes down to. But you're willing to go ahead and basically sacrifice potentially a world like the world and time itself. <laughs> For this one woman that you barely know, it's really confusing, and I don't understand. The movie tries to justify it, and I just never felt, never felt that it was justified to go through all the crap that they went through to go ahead and end up where they do. It's really quite frustrating, and the more I thought about the film, the more upset I got. And it, and just for the record, I watched this three times just to make sure because look. I watched The Matrix the first time, didn't enjoy it, but I remember thinking, you know what, I need to give this another watch or two just to be sure, and I gave this three straight watches, sober as a songbird each time, but this movie, it, it, it's, it's maddening how bad it is, and so I will end with this uh, as far as my main thesis on why I hate it. So the, the points, the plot points in the film are as follows. The protagonist, John David Washington, picks up an encapsulation in Kiev. Uh, he gets antagonist, eats that cyanide pill. The uh, pill is revealed to be fake, and that was all a test. He's briefed on Tenet. He trains. He's briefed about Tenet and the inversion. He meets Neil. He meets Priya. He meets Kat. The protagonist ordered his food forever ago. He robs a, a painting linked to Kat. He meets Andre. Uh, He's hired by Andre to retrieve a suitcase. He passes the suitcase to Andre. Uh, Andre. He realizes the suitcase is part of the algorithm, and Andre intends to detonate it. 
He has to save Cat after she was shot by him. Uh, he uh, inverts to save her. He reinverts to save Cat. He, along with everyone but Andre, inverts back in time to start a 10-minute siege on uh, Ken Obrana's character's hometown. He lets Cat kill Andre. He saves Day, saves Cat, founds Tenet. There you go. That's So, all that to say, meaning that the protagonist will eventually invert to hire Neil and influence the events of the opera house scene. If we assume, though, that the case is a protagonist, uh, picking up the encapsulation, uh, sorry, that the, the cause, pardon me, it's encapsulation uh, of the protagonist picking that up in Kiev, then the theory, uh, the effect in theory, should be the protagonist founding Tenet. But Tenet itself couldn't have been created if the protagonist wouldn't have gone through the events of the film. He couldn't have gone through the events of the film if he didn't create Tenet, meaning that the events have seemingly created themselves, meaning that it would make the cause of Tenet's events its effect, which means that the whole temporal pincer movement's fucking useless, which means the whole movie is fucking useless. It is a terrible, terrible, terrible film. And again, I understand no one has its fanboys and fangirls, and no matter what I say, you'll say, Dad is great, fuck you. Um, this is bad, and you will not change my mind on this. And again, I watched maybe seven or eight... Um, reviews on this and then probably three or four video essays trying to explain why this shit's good and it's not good so sorry it's it's a piece of crap it sucks so all right gonna run down the list one more time before we get to our number one so force of nature uh is my number 10 wrong missing number nine john henry number eight tyler perry's a fall from grace number seven tyler perry presents a medea farewell to play is my number six King of Staten Islands, number five. 365 Days is my number four. Tax Collector is number three. Tenet is number two. All right. So this movie, just on principle, had to be my number one. Just because of what it represents, when it came out, and the subject matter, this had to be my number one. So my number one least favorite film of 2020 is Songbird. Directed by Adam Mason, doing his worst, worst, worst um, Michael Bay impression. This is a movie about COVID. It's the, the literal synopsis on IMDb is in 2024, a pandemic ravages the world and its cities, centering on a handful of people as they navigate the obstacles currently hindering society, disease, martial law, quarantine, and vigilantes. So, can I just say, too, that on Super Bowl Sunday, the fact that we had a Super Bowl with that many people, and as someone who's been locked down and has been taking this seriously, come on, guys. Really? People? Like, we're, go to a Super Bowl? Ugh. Anyways. But this movie's flat-out offensive. They knew exactly what they were making. They did not care. The fact that they are profiting off of this is insane to me. This came out December 11th. And the fact that they had the balls to go, hey, this movie essentially is a romance through COVID. But at the end of the day, it's about living your life. And you know what? If you can get out through legal means, then fuck it. Like, be your own person. Fuck the rules. Like, who cares, right? That's essentially what this movie is saying. They even give uh, KJ Appa, who is a Nico in the movie who's the main uh who's the main character of course you know him as archie on riverdale but 
this is his deal. He goes ahead and gets this illegal uh, black market bracelet for his girlfriend, Sarah, played by so uh, Sophia Car uh, Carson. And it's it's kind of nuts that the movie just goes, yep, break quarantine, fuck it. If you get sick, you get sick. He's immune. That's the big hook is Nico's immune. So he can go out and do whatever he wants. And, you know, who, who the fuck cares? But that really is just a very, very irresponsible lens to go ahead and look through. Because, again, not everyone is, no one, fuck, no one's immune right now to really to COVID. So the fact that this film just goes, yep, fuck the rules. Um, <laughs> the fact that the garb, the sanitation department ends up becoming essentially martial law in this movie is the most insane thing that and that's one of the that's may not be the most insane thing about the movie it's one of the most insane things i've seen in the movie all year and to see the people they got for this movie to me more god bless you girl i know you're going through some shit right now i i i don't know what i i just want to give them more hug um i don't know why she's in this i really don't um alexander dario she plays this girl may who's supposed to be a singer, and I'm going to be honest, Alexander Daddario, I thought she was bad in uh, The Layover, holy shit, she's worse than this, um, girl, don't sing, I'm sorry, you're like, you're, 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 you're like, you're like Kelly Osbourne, don't sing, just please do not sing anymore, uh, she's really bad in this, and she's supposed to be having an affair with William, who's played by Bradley Whitford, who I love that dude as an actor, I cannot believe he's in this shit, Considering he worked on the West Wing, I would think you'd be smart in this, dude. Why are you in this shit? He's terrible in this. There's a whole subplot with a drone that makes no fucking sense. And where that plot ends up, I had to I, I had to laugh at the movie because it's so stupid. And Craig Robinson, the Pontiac Bandits in this. What are you doing, Craig? Come on, man. You you you're you were in Hot Tub Time Machine 1 and 2. You you know better. Come on, man. Like, yeah, it's 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 bad. It's a bad, bad movie. It's a flat out, it's an offensive and it's an irresponsible film. And that's kind of where <coughs> my top three films at, uh, overlap. Uh, Christopher Nolan being as dickish as he was about the release of Tenet, uh, it, it falls into that just well of being irresponsible. I understand everyone wants to get back to out to the theater. Um, I myself, <laughs> pardon me. I myself really want to go back to the theater. I miss being outside. I miss the theater experience. But my God, to put out something that just goes, fuck the rules. Who cares? Like, live your life, live the consequences. In this movie, they have people being arrested and basically sent, being sent to concentration camps in this film, anyone who basically coughs or might have the virus, like, all right, cool, we're going to come and pack you up and send you, you know, put you in this wagon and send your ass away. And the movie just goes, yep, we're presenting these consequences, but still, go ahead and break, break quarantine. It's fine. Give me a fucking break. And not, in the lack of mask wearing at points in this movie, I was like, okay, guys, you're really pissing me off. Um, this is a terrible movie. And again, it is flat out irresponsible and the fact that it was made and made money i would love to talk 
to uh, Adam Mason, because I just love to know why the hell Michael Bay didn't direct this. This screams Michael Bay, and there's no action. <coughs> uh, pardon me. There's no action in this that's well directed. Uh, there's no thrills. Even their relationship, which were supposed to be invested in Nico and Sarah's relationship, you could give a fuck about them. There's a point where Nico Flout says, "Leave your grandma. She's probably sick. Like, let's just let's go away together. Let's go away." Fuck you, dude. <laughs> it's it's so bad. And the last bit where, of course, they inevitably get away together, because, you know, why the hell wouldn't they? That message in particular, too, it, it, the last little, I won't even call it a stinger, because it happens before the credits roll. But the way the movie ends up with this last little bit, and I'll just say, you know, fuck it, who cares? I should spoil this. Nico goes ahead and basically got another bracelet for Lester. It was like, here, you can come ahead and come join us sometime. I'm like, dude, you're an at Yeah, F fuck that movie. Fucking hate that movie. So, yeah, absolutely hated it. Easily the worst from the last year. Uh, do not pay to see it. Like, like straight up, I had to pay 20 bucks to rent it because they did not send me a screener. Thank you for that. By the way, Platinum Dunes for not sending me a fucking screener for this shit. But this is a terrible movie and no one, no one should see it even when it's on streaming for free well you know quote free quote unquote do not watch this it is not worth your time it is a waste of time and the fact that this movie is only an hour uh is only 84 minutes so it's, it couldn't even get to 90 minutes uh shows how completely uninspired they were and how they just wanted to make money so yep fuck them and fuck this movie but that is it that is my worst of we Whew, we got through it. We got through it, everybody. Uh, those are the worst films for me of 2020. What are your worst films? Let us know in the comments below. You can follow yours truly on the Twitter at jhunterrealpineapple. You can follow Scott on Twitter at Nearman the, the first. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, just to mention a couple, Apple and Google Podcasts, Podbean, Stitcher and iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, TuneUp, uh, and Spotify at The Real Pineapple. And please don't forget to like our pages on Facebook. You can find us on Facebook at The Real Pineapple. And don't forget to like our gaming channel at Real Pineapple Games. Gonna start streaming here on Twitch this month. So go ahead and make sure you like both those pages for updates. Uh, everyone, thank you so much for listening. Please stay safe out there. Again, hope you're having a great Super Bowl Sunday. Uh, if you're listening to, this to start off your week, hope you're having a great start to your week. We'll have reviews up here coming up for a uh, couple things. Uh, oh my gosh, I'm trying to think. We'll have a review up for Land here soon of Robin Wright's uh, debut film. Gonna kick off uh, another film, The Black Cinema Showcase. Gonna have a review here for One Night Miami. Gonna have a review up for Watchmen, the TV series, which I am so excited uh, to talk about with my friend uh, Nathan from Mission Impotable, which if uh, you're a Mission Possible fan, definitely subscribe to that podcast. And my friend Bradley, who is a brilliant bitch, So we'll have them on as guests review that. As well as reviews for Malcolm X, Coming to America. A couple episodes of The Boondocks I want to review. Um, uh, the Photograph uh, with uh, Issa Rae and Lakeith Stanfield. Along with some other stuff. So we've got a lot of stuff coming down the pipeline. As well as my best of. Uh, that will be live on the 15th. I am so excited to get 
my best of 2020 out to all of you out there. But everyone, please stay safe out there. Wear a mask, take care of each other, and we will talk to you soon.